2: The Telegraph. the Telegraph Podcasts
0: Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's full contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore and back in the studio this week is the former England and British Lions fly half Rob Andrew. Hello, Rob. Hi, Brian. How are you? Uh, OK, headlines. Um, Dylan Hartley is out of England's South Africa summer tour with concussion. In a statement, he has said, I'm very disappointed that I will not be available for selection for Saints' remaining Premiership games as well as England's Tour to South Africa. It's been recommended by a specialist that I take a break this summer and whilst I find that decision hard to accept, it's important I listen to that advice. I intend to use this time to fully recover from my injury so I can be ready to hit the ground running when pre-season training starts later this summer. Well, this is, I think, his third absence from concussion. They were quite long absences for the first one, certainly a couple of months. And whilst it's difficult to know about concussion because it's obviously not visible, I can't imagine that successive concussions get very better.
3: No, look, it's it, it's the big subject of the day for the game, isn't it? For lots of reasons and, and, you know, we've seen quite a lot of players have uh, repeated concussions and and trying to make a decision about when, when do you come back? Um, If you have a few more, George North had a few as well, a Mm. few bad ones and then, then, you know, Mike Brown had a few as well Um, and it must be really tough as a player, you know, given what we're now beginning to learn about the future and where these things might take you. It's quite a hard, Call I think um Dylan's had a, a a lot this year he hasn't really played much rugby no this year you know and trying to make a judgment call as a coach on on form um well you you can't because he's not had any well that's that's the problem Eddie had during the Six nations really yeah. he wanted him as captain he clearly believes he should be there as captain but every sort of time he's gone out really he's almost played less uh game time and it's it's becoming a problem now. For the for the england set up really as as are one or two other things which we talked about during the six nations mm. it i think I suspect it 's been pretty obvious that he wasn 't going to get go on the tour for some time um, and it 's really a case now of you know does Jamie George step up um, does he become the starter played for the Lions during the summer last summer um and and where does it leave Dylan going into the start of next year
0: because you you 've got to look at this dispassionately uh, and ruthlessly. It's not anything anyone wants to visit on Dylan Hartley personally. There's no uh, axe to grind there. But at some point, Eddie Jones has got to decide, is he going to give me a string of games where he can regain not just his fitness, but his form? Because Jones has been very keen to remind people that this is the top tournament that you have to be at your very best. And if England don't take enough players, and not just 15, but more players who are not only good enough, but experienced enough and on form and talented enough, then they won't win the Cup. And if he has to make difficult decisions with players who, let's face it, have been tremendous servants over the years, make no bones, uh, no apologies about using that phrase. Then he'll be letting himself down, and he won't be doing what he is demanding of players. And I, I'm afraid it's unfortunate with Dylan. But if he, if this concussion keeps him out over the summer and beyond, then that really is a significant thing. I think not starting the season will be would be uh, a very big blow for him.
3: Yeah, and, and whether it's concussion or whether it's just other things that have meant that his form. You know, even going back, he wasn't selected to go on the Lions tour. Yeah. So that's the sort of, in itself, tells you something about what maybe other coaches think about yeah. Dylan's ability at the very, very highest level. Um, and, and look, selection is always very subjective, but that's why they get paid to to get the right people on the field at the right time. And this is 18 months out is a really challenging crossroads for Dylan as, as a player and probably for Eddie as a coach who's put a lot of time into Dylan a lot of time into Mike Brown and Chris Robshaw and various other players who've got a lot of caps um and as, as we've said before are they going to be able to not only hold their form and there's questions over what holding that form looks like now they've actually got to get better in the next 18 months yeah you know there's got to be growth in the team quite considerable growth clearly over the since the six you know because of what happened in the six Nations. But each individual player has got to be able to go up another yeah. notch because other players and other teams like Ireland, Wales, France, you know, don't expect New Zealand to stand still, Australia, over the next 18 months.
0: Yeah, well, Brad Shields is one of the latest uh, players who England are looking at to try and shore up their back row deficiencies. This is an interesting one because he's the Hurricanes flanker and captain. He's joining Wasps that uh, it be a new season when he comes over, qualifies through his parents, so no question about the qualification at all. People have been making a point about, well, how come he can get off the plane and you know he can't have Chris Ashton? Well, it's quite simple. He's going to play in England. Now, you may have bent the laws or the rules concerning whether he's actually here or not, but the fact is he is going to be playing here, um, whereas uh, Ashton and other players aren't. And that debate for me, I'm sorry it's over. It's over. It's been proven to work. If you want to carry on going back, you you knock yourself out. But the rest of us are going to carry on. And if it's an anomaly, then so be it. For me, basically, you shut up um, and get on with it. But Brad Shields, interesting physically. I mean, he's a big, he's 6'4". And what if he's a much more Haskell-type thing than uh, even a Timana Harrison Who's big in himself, but he's not the classic open side again, is he? He's he's just obviously, as you know, a very very good player.
3: Yeah, look, I agree with you about you know whether he's whether he should be eligible or not. If Chris Ashton wants to be eligible for England, come back from Toulon. Yep. you know that, that that's a non-argument as you say. Slight issue I've got with this is you know is he hasn't played in the English game. Yep. Um, there've been players who've come over from New Zealand. Um, it can't be all that good, otherwise I think New Zealand might be not bothered. You know, might be trying to hang on to him. Yep. Um, I don't mean that. I'm sure he's a, he is a very good player, but we've seen it before with Tamana Harrison or um O'Con- O'Connor that came over mm-hmm. to Leicester. Um, players who've been playing it in New Zealand, playing pretty good Super Rugby, um, and then they come over here as as being the the players who are going to you know save. A particular position in the English game. Um, and it's, it's not that easy. It's not that straightforward. Um, so, again, it's probably because of the dearth of, of players. In, in. Oh, no, it's definitely because of the dearth. They wouldn't be considering
0: him uh, otherwise because, you know, it's less than ideal. You would want someone who's come through the system of you've seen from a long way out who's familiar with players and, yeah. you know, familiar with coaches and life here. But the fact is, and for some apparent, I don't know, I can't define the reason the production line that did produce world-class sevens for a long, long time, and two or three of them at a time sometime, just seems to have completely dried up.
3: Well, I think there are one or two younger guys. Some of them have been injured, and that's that's the conundrum that, that Eddie has found himself in, and he's ended up with Chris back there. Who, with all due respect, Chris is a fantastic player, but he's an international six and, and, and it's been proven that at seven he struggles to to sort of um make an impact Ooh. or the same impact on a game that he does from six. Um that was proven in twenty fifteen and, and Eddie saw that and even commented on it. Exactly. And yet, yeah. and yet three years later he's still he's still putting him there. So that's not gonna solve England's problems in, in twenty nineteen. Whether Brad Shields will, or whether one of the Curry twins or Underhill will stay fit long enough to to get enough rugby under their belt to become a standout seven, um, time will tell. But the the clock is ticking.
0: And the clock is ticking, and if it ticks out and they don't get there with at least one uh, open side like this, I I would I wouldn't say that their chances, you know, are absolutely uh, gone, but I would say they're quite severely diminished if you haven't got a balanced back row. The way that wow. international rugby, any club rugby at a very high level is going now, the back rows are crucial to the breakdown. The breakdown is crucial uh, to continuity, which is crucial to momentum and to point scoring, and and so it goes
3: on. And, and that was probably the... the... Arguably the scariest thing about this year's Six Nations is um, it was very clear from the start that the breakdown was a problem, the back row balance was a problem, um, the numbers of players in the breakdown, whether in defence or attack, and actually it wasn't any different after at the end of the Six Nations as it was at the start. Yeah. So what what is going to change? Something has to change in South Africa, whether it's personnel or the way they're coached or the, the, the numbers of players they're trying to put into breakdowns, where we, we seem to have started to take more and more players out of breakdown, have less in, just as everybody else seems to be putting more players back into the breakdown. And Well, I'm not, I'm not sure they do that um, habitually, but what I, what, what I think they do is they are
0: better at recognising the time to flood them. Mm. And when they do flood them, that's it, everyone's in and they just mess the ball up completely. And they either give a penalty away or they make it completely unplayable or they turn it over.
3: Which is, you know, that is definitely um, Pro 14, as it's now called, you know, and that's sort of a bit of a throwback, maybe, to sort of the the old Scottish-Irish-Welsh days of of messing up breakdowns or or making, having the ability to to, to want to get into breakdowns and and either mess up the opposition ball or try and steal it or, or just make a nuisance of yourself, which is... They've always been pretty good at. The English players seem to have stopped doing that. Now, that's not every team in the Premiership has stopped doing that, but across the board, they, there's not as much competition for the ball at the breakdown as no. there is in the Pro 14. And I mean, there's still a fair bit in in the in the top um, top 14, top 14 yeah. um, because. You know, there's not quite as much running, and they'll like to just stand around and whack each other at the, <laughs> the breakdown. Yeah. But I think we've talked about this a lot where the, the basics of the game haven't changed, and, and that needs to be fixed because it, 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 it is a problem now. And, it, and it's, yeah. you're not going to win games if you don't fix it.
0: No. Well, we'll go on to consider uh, the Champions Cup and the uh, Challengers Cup. But can we just say, first of all, good luck to Rob Horn, the Northampton Saints centre. Look, he's had to retire following uh, nerve damage to his right arm. Only 13 seconds into the Saints match two weekends ago. Not that old, crushing uh, blow for him. So really sorry about that, Rob. There is life after retirement. It it can be difficult. So please uh, don't be proud if you are struggling, make sure you speak to people because the help is there. But otherwise, good luck with everything um, that you do. I don't know whether you'll plan to stay in the game, uh, but whichever uh, way you decide, I hope it's a success for you. OK, time to turn to, well, what was an outstanding weekend of semi-final Champions Cup rugby? Very pleased to say we can speak to Mike Ross, the former Leinster in Ireland. Rob, good evening, Mike.
1: Good evening, Brian. How are you?
0: I am here with uh, Rob. T- tell you what, let's um, just take off First, let's take off the Munster uh, result. Although it it looks close on paper, 27-22, I was was quite surprised um, in the first half performance of Munster. It was very un-Munster-like in the sense that um, they allowed Rassig to take the initiative and get in their faces when usually that's one of the things that Munster do very well and they were left chasing the game. And whilst they record the tries later on, it gave a, a bit of a respectability to the scoreline that I... I'm not sure would have would have been there if Racing had you know put the foot down in the second half as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you know, monster physicality is always a given. And I thought definitely in the first half they're basically out muscled by Racing. Um, you know, some, a couple of their tries just simple handoffs, one and one errors, and uh, they went straight through and scored. And I think they're they're fairly good shell shocked to be 21 points down after what, 20 minutes. Yeah,
0: Leinster well. I felt a bit sorry for Ken Owens, you know, when he was interviewed afterwards because the Scarlets captain, he didn't know really what to say. And I I can understand why, because Scarlets didn't play particularly badly. They've got a very good team. They did certain things very well. It's just that Leinster did most things a little bit better, individually uh, and um, collectively. And then in aggregate, when you put that together, the periods of play where uh, Scarlets... Played, they scored three points and Leinster scored in fives and sevens and then all of a sudden you turn round after the game and think we've been smacked 38 points to 16 we never really got in this game and uh, you know I'm not sure really how it was taken away so decisively
1: yeah to be honest I was very surprised with that scoreline you know um, yeah. I thought Carlison were probably you know, the best Premier Welsh teams at the moment and they won the Pro 14 last year in style and um, I, I thought of all the semi finalists; they probably had the best chance of beating Leinster, but yeah, yeah I mean Leinster just dismantled them. Um, I, I, I think I think that the, there's a good mix there right now. You know, there's a good mix of youth and experience. I mean, you've got Johnny Sexton, Rob Carney, Scott Fardy, guys who've been around, the blocked, done, been there and done that, and you kind of mix that up with Dan Levy and James Ryan, two young lads who haven't really known, yeah. you know, the bitter pill of defeat. So I don't think James Ryan's lost in blue or green yet. To be honest, um, yeah. a bit like Maro Toji a couple of years ago. I hope they don't think it's like that all the time. But, well, it um, might be. For,
0: it might be for a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, my, the other thing I was, I was writing about this and saying, you, you know, you've got things like now Keane Healy and Teg Furlong, when they first came around, you could say they weren't the best scrimmages around, uh, but they did a job. Now you're saying actually, against all but the very best, they are a handful in the tight you know Tona and Ryan again not just line out forwards they can they can carry they can offload they, they're, they're instrumental in setting up these driving molds, which you know are very important the back row Fardy as you say huge player but they've, they've got this not just experience but the primary jobs are all taken care of now when I look at the team I think actually I'm not looking at areas of weakness here I'm looking at areas of less strength and that's a really good position to, to be in.
1: Yeah, it um, took a bit of time coming. I mean, if, if you think about it, that they lost Claremont to the stage last year. Mm. And there's a couple of guys in the team who have learned an awful lot from that. And it's kind of on display this season. Um, definitely, you know, like the Tide Furlong, as you said, he's um, a year older and wiser. He's got such good lines to her behind him. A um, successful Grand Slam. There's large components of that team who made up the Grand Slam, but you know the other thing is they've got the hunger back too because it's been a while since Lenser won European silverware of any kind. Um, I think 2013 with the Amling Cup was the last bit we won, so um, it's good to see them on that stage. And you know I I think they're the team to beat now. Like obviously Racing can do it, but it'll take a hell of a performance from them, Um, and Lenser underperforming.
3: It was a really physical performance, wasn't it, from, from Leinster. Um, very direct in many ways, But um, and they're so accurate. It sort of was a bit like watching Ireland, and they've got so many Irish internationals, more so than Munster. There was maybe a time when Munster had half the Irish team, Leinster had half the team. It felt at the weekend that, that Leinster had sort of an Irish p- team plus the bench, and Munster just didn't quite have that, that depth. Um and there's the physicality that they threw at Scarlet's um just rocked them really all the way through the game.
1: Yeah, uh, like the breakdown is a notable strength of theirs. I think um Ty Byrne was talking about it afterwards, they just couldn't get a sniff. Uh if you're just watching them, you know, it's, it's, you just put it on video for you know, other teams, this is how you rock. Because yeah. they just fly in there and there's they're kind of almost instant arrive instantaneously at the ball carrier, so there's not really a chance for anyone to get a sniff and take them out past behind the rock, which makes it more difficult for the defensive line to set. So it just snowballs eventually, and then holes start appearing.
0: Mike, there was, there was one uh, uh, thing that stood out for me as being illustrative of, of a, a perfect example of, um, of precision. Johnny uh, Sexton, he put a ball up um, for the winger in the right-hand corner, and yeah. it, was, it was fielded. Um, by the defender I can't, I can't now name the defender but it was fielded and he was caught just a few metres short of his line so when it came to getting safety he put the ball down as you would do because that's the nearest thing so you have a five yard scrum with your putting yeah. now if you'd kicked that ball five yards further forward and he caught it just inside the in goal area then he touches the ball down and you have a 22 and this is the difference. This is the precision which gets you increased pressure, makes you stay there, uh, uh you know, and and brings you scores. And it's that sort of thing, you know, the ability to 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 put people there. And it's you know, over a kick over forty, fifty meters, very easy to just drift in. And yet, Sexton's putting them there. And it's the same with, you know, hands, the hands are going out, they're going in passes are going in front to play so they can run on uh to, to moves and they're not be they're not being stopped by by those things. I just wanted to ask: to what extent is, is Stuart Lancaster responsible for for some or any of this?
1: Well, he's he's definitely responsible for you know, to a large degree for Lancers' improved. Uh, I suppose you call the, um control and chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, so you play like when the, when I was there last year uh, for we, on Tuesdays, where the, they're the hardest training sessions of the day, and the reason for that is because. Stewart run unstructured blocks uh, where you had to just run back and forth between the twenty twos, trying to attack against fresher uh, defence. So you just got exhausted yep. running back and forth. But you know it was, it was kind of developing skills under pressure. Yep. So he spent an awful lot of time with that, and I think you can kind of see that the way the heads up way that Leinster are playing. You know, they'll have their starter plays. They'll they'll have their set piece moves, but a lot a lot of the work has gone into uh, the unstructured play, and you, know, you can really see it, see it paying
3: dividends. Sorry, Mike, you saw that, didn't you? With Scott Fardy's try in particular, where you know there's a structured part of of, of as you say all rugby, but but when you know Johnny Sexton took it to the line, um, I think James Ryan took it to the to the line, and and after Fardy had taken it, and he got back in, and he offloaded behind behind the tackle, um, and as, it's a it's a bit like Brian was saying earlier that. They're just in the purple patch at the moment as a team. Probably how Saracens felt maybe a year ago or two years ago when Saracens were doing their double. Um, when yeah. you, you just feel like you're sort of almost unbeatable because you can. And as Ireland were through the Six Nations, you know, just finding a way um, and and that confidence across the team as well as all the technical stuff because it's all in place with the scrum, the line out, the breakdown, kicking game, and then with the space there. They'll find the space because they make the right decisions. Um, it's, it's really impressive to watch.
1: Yeah, and uh, like I said, that's what they've been practicing and training. And yeah. you know, the big belief that you know you train as you play, yeah. and uh, our play as you train. So um, that, that, that's certainly paying dividends. But again, you, if you look through the team, there's a good sprinkling of experience with youth. You know, and uh, I remember the team I played in that one in two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, had the same kind of mix, and. Um, you know, it's good to see it come back around again. Whereas Johnny, Johnny might be the other statesman now. Yeah, Mike, is there any reason why they can't do the double? No, not really. Um, I suppose, I suppose previously it was always the the, the the Pro 14 final was always a week after the Heineken Cup final as it was then. So you know, when you, when you won it, you, you you had kind of had a so we say interrupted <laughs> preparation.
0: Yeah, I understand <laughs> yeah. what you mean. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. For the final, and plus, you know, I mean, you it's it's hard to come down off that high and uh, roll your sleeves up and prepare again. But um, I I, I they have the squad depth, they have the talent. Um, I think they they have they have all the tool sets to go and win it. It's just you know, I suppose a bit of luck is required too. Yeah.
0: Well, we shall we shall soon see. I wouldn't uh, think a lot of people put a lot of money against them. Mike Ross, thank you very much.
1: Thanks very much, man.
0: Rob, they must have a decent chance subject, as Mike says, to focus and how much do you want it. But I, I sort of get the feeling that, you know, with the background staff there, that this is the sort of thing they do want and the sort of thing they will impress upon the players. Look, you know, you can go on tours and whatever, but, but, but doing doubles, they don't come along very often when wearing this sort of form, this sort of purple patch, as you say. Who knows what will happen in the future? Two or three injuries. You know, a couple of, um, you know, uh, bad head knocks, loss of form. All teams run out of... Uh, out but, of. Uh,
3: but that's what, you know, that's what Johnny Sexton and Rob Carney will be saying. They're already in the press so, sort of saying it. You know, this is their, t- their time to lead another Leinster sort of golden period. They won yep. three Champions Trophies or Heineken Cups. You know, Toulon then took on the mantle. Saracens had their their patch I'm sure Saracens will come back but this is a time to say we're going to we're going to win Europe we're going to win the double we're going to do back to back Europe let you know can we can we go and win four European titles where they'd they'd equal to lose if they win this one come back next year and, and do five the first team to ever do five European titles and you look at the strength in depth and the youngsters they've got coming through you sort of you wouldn't bet against them doing that because they've got players, you know, and it's it. They they do seem to have got maybe more of the island team within one team. It's almost yes, like do, I, yeah. it's almost like island mark two, um, and and that gives them. Well, the look I wrote this. They are they are
0: stronger as a side than some of the international teams. Absolutely, um, quite, yeah. quite a lot of the international teams actually.
3: Yeah. Well, you look at the bench. You know the players they got coming off the bench at the weekend. Uh, yeah. Players who are actually starting for Ireland. Um, coming off the bench for, for Leinster. <laughs> yes, which
0: is an incred- incredible thing. And it is almost like Exeter, but with uh, b- bigger uh, attacking dimensions. You uh, know, Exeter could get there. Um, yeah, I think, I think just, just better, probably,
3: more... you know, in the end, slightly better quality players because Leinster yeah. are doing it with pretty much international quality across the board yes. and with internationals on the bench. Exeter have got outstanding players, yeah. but they're not doing it with a team full of international experienced players. No, so these these guys, the Leinster guys, have done it in an international shirt as well. And they're doing it week in, week out for and Ireland. Interesting,
0: very interesting what he said uh, about Stuart Lancaster's influence.
3: Yeah, and look, and Stuart, as everybody knows, is, is a good coach. Um, whatever went on in that lead up to 2015... You know, Stuart. Will <laughs> we don't want to go over that ground, but you know he's obviously gone in there. He's slightly under the radar. Leo Cullen is taking all the sort of the the, the Irish heat, if there is any Irish heat from the media, and you know what what the pressures on Leinster must be in Dublin, because you know there must be a lot of pressure on this group of players. And Stuart can just get on the field, get his tracksuit on, and just look at, analyze games, analyze the players. Look, there's some very good players there to work with. You've got, you know, Sexton's probably pulling a lot of strings. You've got a lot of talent, but whatever they're doing, they are a better side, undoubtedly, um, at the back end of this season than they were at the back end of last season. Um, So the work that goes on on the training field is coming through, and and we've said this before. You know, Mike Ross has been involved in that. We don't need to go and uh, watch them train. We just need to watch them play and yeah. go, they look like they know what they're doing. Exactly. They're well organised. Yes. You know, they, they know exactly what... Now that comes off the training field. Yeah.
0: OK, time to move on to the Pro 14. Please say we can speak to the former Dragons, Blues, Wasps, Whales and Lions, number eight, Andy Powell. Hello, Andy. I, Brian, I thinking, mate. All right, mate. We've got a final round of Pro 14 fixtures as the country's teams face each other. They haven't been able to necessarily come up with clever marketing names for all of them, but it's called Judgment Day down in uh, down in Wales, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's you know it's great for the fans. You know, it's, yeah. uh, hopefully we can get some good weather, and you know, it's great for everybody to come out, bring the kids along, and you know, watch some uh, great, exciting rugby.
0: Well, Dragons. Uh, Editing Scarlets and uh, blues ospreys different uh, fortunes obviously Scarlet's be I think very disappointed you know and Cardiff seem they seem at the moment to uh, to have, have got things together a bit better, certainly better than the last few uh, few few seasons
4: yeah, like you just said, I think you know it's going to be a big loss for Cardiff with Danny Wilson going you know so um. Mm. I think you know they're playing very, really, you know, they're playing with a lot of confidence at the minute, and you can see that. Um then Ospreys on the weekend losing, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great game. But then for the Dragons as well, they got something to prove. They got a lot of, you know, big signings for next year. So it's it's depending on, well, how the Scouts react from the loss on the weekend, you know, and you know they did have a heavily big loss to Leinster.
0: Well, you you saw that, I'm sure, and, and a lot of people did. And I was just saying. You know, when Ken Owens was interviewed afterwards, he was almost nonplussed because he, he obviously looked at the scoreboard and thought, oh, that's a fair drubbing. But, you know, we didn't play that badly. Um, but we were just a bit better all round in everything they did. And they just, it was the sort of game was taken away quite early from Scarletts in a way which I don't think they sort of anticipated. So I don't think that's happened to them before. Could it seriously dent them or... Have they got just too many good players in the end?
4: No, I don't think it will dent them. I think they'll learn from it. I think you know, with the coaching staff there, Stephen Jones and Wayne Pivock, I think they'll, you know, they'll gather the troops together. They'll learn from it, and you know, I know what the team they like. They'll probably turn up in the weekend, and they could give the Dragons a good uh, uh, thrashing. So it's it's one of those. Um, but I think going back to Leinster, I think they were just so clinical on the weekend in what they did. You know, I heard what you were talking to with Rob Andrew beforehand. You know, on the yeah. training on the training ground, they probably you know they, they know each other inside out very well, and I think Stuart Lancaster has been a big part of that.
3: We talked a bit through the Six Nations ab- about the, the maybe a bit of buoyancy in in sort of the Welsh game, and I just wonder how you feel around the strength of the regions, um, some of the players, the younger players that played through the Six Nations. A lot of back row forwards, sort of stepping up uh, with all the injuries that Wales had, and and whether in Wales itself, obviously being down there, there's a sense that the regions are starting to just start to get it together. Cardiff, obviously now in in the um, um, in the cup fi- European final as well, um, and there's maybe just a sense of things on the, on the move across all the regions and trying to get somewhere near that sort of um, strength in depth that the that the, the Irish provinces
4: have got? Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, it does take time. You know, it did with Ireland and, you know, you probably look at them now and they probably, I'd probably say they're ranked probably the second best in the team probably from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So it is coming with Wales and the Dragons have gone on to make a lot of good signings for next year. So I think it's, you know, I think next year is going to be a real, you know, a stepping stone for Welsh rugby. And I think the big thing for Wales at the minute, they've bled a lot of youngsters, you know, in the Six Nations and in the Autumn Internationals, so you know, with that experience now on their shoulders, um, you know, it's only going to put them in good stead in the future.
0: Andy, one of the problems I foresaw, um, and was certainly the case a couple, two or three years ago, was a problem. I described it as sort of being half pregnant in a sense that the regions were dependent on the WRU uh, financially, but the WRU didn't give them enough money, you know, to really get their act together. Uh, but nor did they give them the autonomy um, to go their own way and raise the the investment because they wanted the central contracts and they want to control the players. And I said, unless you get one of these improved, unless the the money comes in either from outside or it comes from the WRU, you're still going to have a situation where you're competing against contracts that are worth more money outside um, and and that' would be difficult keeping your players, but then, if you do keep them, you're going to have to have substantially more investment. So I just wonder how, I know it's a bit of a complicated conundrum, but I wonder how they're the dealing with, with, with that balance.
4: It's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And um, then they they bought that 60 cap rule in which Wales have bought, you know, just yep. probably to keep them playing in Wales. Um, otherwise, the fans are going to get pretty dismissed after that. So yep. it's, it's a, it's a grey area. Um, but I think they're only doing it to save their own backs really you know just to keep all these players in Wales and that's probably why Wales are probably starting to improve over the last year so you know it, as long as it keeps improving you know uh, it's only going to benefit Wales in the long term
0: Will the players wear this in terms of salaries though because uh, professional careers are quite short they're awa- well aware of that they're well aware of the fact that there may be only one injury one concussion away from not playing again at some point um, they'll want to make a, a bigger payday. Do, will they wait for 60 caps?
4: Oh, it's, You know, if you do get an opportunity to go abroad for big money, you know, um, mm. I will knock on... It's like we swear, but a minute, you know, he's made that decision. You know, I think he's playing that well in Toulon. I think they should still be able to pick him. But, you know, they brought the law in, the silly law in my eyes, but it's only a number in it. But, you know... That's
0: well, I'd reason. also make this point as well, Andy. Um, sorry to but him, is that people have got to be aware... They're unlike the English game, where you know the English game is still—they're I mean, they're trying to get better. They are getting better, but he's still got a lot of middle-class lads in there whose families, you know, have have, have got—you know—they're they're reasonably well off—and they can go back to to jobs that'll open up. The Welsh game is full of lads who, you know, when they come out, will will be—they won't be in professions and so on. They won't have that—you know, their 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 working-class roots dictate almost that they. They really do have to make much more of this um, than than say someone who's you know from a, a reasonably well off background, you know, in another country. No,
4: no, I totally agree. It's like myself. I'm back on a construction site now. Getting my get my hands in. Yep. So, um, yeah, no, I no, I agree with what you're saying. You know, you have to look the money, and you got it. And when it does come around, you sh- you should take these opportunities because yeah. you know they'll never you never have them again. Yeah, I think I think one person well, sticks to my mind, is Chris Aston. You know, I think what he's done in Toulon, and I think England are missing a player like him at the minute as well.
3: That's a fair point, Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, the whole sort of dual contract bit as well, isn't it, with Wales, from a player welfare point of view, if the Welsh Rugby Union can put enough money on the table to get the players back, and obviously one or two have come back, as well as there's always somebody leaving and somebody coming back, like Lee Halfpenny. Yeah. Um, just getting that balance right so that you can actually keep enough of the high-profile players in Wales so that that encourages supporters and it, it, it enthuses the next generation of kids. And as we saw with Cardiff on the weekend, what was there, 11,000 in, in Cardiff watching the Blues? You know, that's probably a, as big a crowd as they've had for a while. And it, it's yeah. it's a difficult balancing act. But it, I think Ireland have shown how... how a, you know effectively a s- small playing base can actually pull together and actually produce not only good sides in europe because the players are looked after but obviously then that works with a national team as well
4: yeah definitely yeah 100% agree and i think one thing with england as well you know you've got the championship there's always relegation and its promotion i think with wales when you go below the pro 12 you've got the you know it's the premiership and there's no relegation, there's no promotion. So keeping these big players in Wales is a big asset for bringing youngsters through, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's go on to your uh, the, the coaching. Um, you're in in Division 1 East, of the WR National League. 1 East. Is that right? How are you, how are you finding it? Because I've always thought that coaching is for a certain breed of people. I, I never wanted a job where I did a really good job and 15 people mess it up and I get fired. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 never, I just couldn't cope with that but you're, you've obviously got a different mindset to me
4: No I, I tell you I thoroughly enjoyed it I never thought I'd be a coach but um, yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it you know I think I've worked under a lot of good coaches in my time about 14 different clubs so yeah. I think, I, think I've, uh, I was probably very hard to manage as a player so <laughs> um, I think you know taking that little bit of advice off each one coach, I think, you know, Um, you know, I think I got good man management skills, I think, you know, and I don't think you're born with that either, either you know. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's going well.
0: Well, you'll certainly be good if they need any advice on the highway code, won't you, Andy? <laughs> well, so, uh, hey, mate, it's great to speak to you, mate. Uh, take care. Hey, you too. You
4: Thank too,
0: you. Both. Take care. Andy Paul. <laughs> right, so it's funny, it's like... I'm just waiting when he's disciplining someone. I can just imagine, you know, speaking to them and then looking at him and thinking, I can't believe. And they say, listen, I know I did some things wrong in my time, but uh, I'm in charge now. But there you Uh, go.
3: Everybody grows up.
0: No, everyone does grow up. You're quite right. And and look um, at that level where I imagine um, he's either not being paid or not being paid very much.
3: I suspect not being paid at all. Yeah,
0: then, you know, it's very important that players who've got a lot of um, experience as I say being coached by a lot of people can give their time back which is great so good luck to you there Handy Well if you didn't know the women's game comes to an absolute crescendo this weekend because Quinns are playing Saris are playing them at Ailing Trail Finders on Sunday the 29th at 3pm. Very pleased to say we can speak to Rachel Burford the Quinns Ladies, Captain. Uh, good evening, Rachel. Hello, Rachel. We've got the two best sides, certainly the two best sides performing over this season. Saris have got a lot of power. The Cleels, uh, Marley Packer. Uh, I get the impression um, you've got one or two outstanding backs, some very, some a lot of pace. And I think um, is it a question of you just having to front up physically, and then try to make sure that you're your better attacking options coming or is it is a more threat there from Saris?
2: um i think you know i think they've shown that they've got more than just their physicality in the kills and packer mm-hmm. and they've definitely got some young backs there that can can do damage if they're given space and opportunity to play into um, but you know for us i think we we definitely have the edge over them in the back line and um I would say maybe we're on a par in terms of the physicality up front because we've got we've got a real handful of players that um, are really physical as well. And but we understand what the threats are in terms of the cleals and um, of PACO And we know that we need to 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 take them out of the game, it, it, you know, in the right sense, and um, and try and stop them go, them from playing because they give the the opposite, They give Saracens a huge go forward, and um, which could give them the, their back to the platform to play off. So we've got to try and um, stop that.
0: Well, if you, if you can take them out without getting caught, it doesn't really matter. It's in the <laughs> wrong sense, does it? Uh, I never said that. Well, if he, um, he, he, what, what are the relative kicking games like? Because if there's any area in which the women's game isn't as good as the men's, and actually I think mm-hmm. in some ways it's more attractive because it's not, um, you know, because people can't kick as long and they don't yeah. kick as far, and therefore the ball is in hand more. But who has got the better kicking game, do you think?
2: Um, well, I think it, it's quite hard to say. Obviously, you've got Zoe Harrison playing for them, who's an England fly half now. She got capped um, this season, so she's got a really strong boot on her. Um, and then you look on our side, we've got um, Ellie Green, who's a 17-year-old. It's just like her fifth game in the Premiership, and um, she has a great boot on her. But you know, obviously, she hasn't got the same experience as um, what Zoe has. Um, so you know, potentially they might have the edge over in terms of the distance of the game, but. Um, we've got a couple of um, kickers within the side with Leanne and with Ellie as well that can do little nudges through, um, so maybe not necessarily the big long kicks, but little kicks to score and little over, little chip overs or crossfield kicks to to a couple of our flyers. And um, it's probably where we we edge it, and then the opposition probably edge where they can get the territorial game a little bit better.
3: Rachel, it's um, it's obviously the first year of the new the new Premier League, if you like, and and sort of almost a bit of a first year for, for Quinns really in terms of how they've taken on the women's game um, and obviously fantastic to get to the final. What, what changes have you seen and where do you think they get the women's 15 aside side game has moved in this year and, and where do you think it can go over the, the next few years?
2: I think the, the standout um, part for me is the the talent that's happening on the pitch and the standards that have completely raised the season. I don't think I've been a part of the the previous Premiership where it's been this competitive um, at the top of the get, at the top of the table. Um, m- most teams now you you have to go along and you have to perform to, in order to get the result that you want to get. And you know, previous years you kind of you knew who were going to be maybe a tough games, and then you knew people who you could you would be able to beat week in week out. So I think w- what's come from that is the foundations that are being laid now uh, or the Tirof, um, Premier 15's club is you now having right support in terms of medical and and, and people having a training programme whereas you know previously England internationals or other internationals have all that set up but your uh, normal club players don't get any of that and, and now that's being um, catered for and you can see that directly really having an impact on the pitch you know they're yeah. training harder they haven't you know, their strengths are getting better and they're able to transfer that onto a rugby pitch so I think in terms of the standard of the game it, it's improved and I think over the next two years we're only going to see that increase and ultimately we're going to see the standard of women's rugby grow and, and hopefully that will you know benefit England women's rugby as well.
0: Will this extend to to clubs who uh, look? We understand they're nascent and um, it's very difficult uh, from almost a standing start. But Wor- Worcester have had several big, big points defeats, and no one likes to see that because, a, uh no one. You don't gain that much from being beaten that heavily, and you don't learn that much from mm. actually doing it. Um, will can we see um, those sides maybe halving those deficits and then? in the following seasons, doing, doing that again so that they're getting closer? Because I think you've got to give them the three years, otherwise it's pointless establishing the franchises and being where, where they are. So, But is, uh, uh, do you detect that that sort of will be done, the, the big gaps between the top and bottom will, will narrow sufficiently?
2: Yeah, I do think so. I think, you know, hopefully everybody's been, you know, finding this season, finding their feet. There's been quite a few teaming problems and and obviously people have moved around. You know, it's become this competitive environment now where players want to go where they're going to feel their most benefit. And mm-hmm. and that's there's been a lot of change in people who, what clubs they play. you know, we sit in the men's all the time and we, and we hadn't normally seen that in the women's game before. So now players are, are thinking about what how they can get the best out of themselves and moving. So Worcester did lose a lot of um, international players, um, which were, you know, like the core of that club. Um, but however, you know, they've got a real young squad and it's going to take time for that squad to develop and, and to come on and be more competitive and more physical, um, and absolutely I agree with you. You know you've got to give them the three years, the opportunity to develop and grow and recruit. Um, so I definitely think you know that they'll be working very hard in order to to drop those deficits and, and to, to hopefully you know aim for to winning some next season.
0: Yeah, Rachel, the um, best of luck for you. I'm supposed to say neutral, but as it was a Queens captain, uh, I'm going to cheer. Uh, I'll, I'll certainly look at uh, the result from a, a slightly multicoloured uh, perspective.
2: Okay, great. <laughs> I bye appreciate bye. that. <laughs> Cheers. Bye bye.
0: Bye. Let me just uh, reiterate again: it's the inaugural Terrells Premier Fifteens final at Ealing Trailfinders this Sunday. It's also the National Girls Under Fifteen and Under Eighteen Cup Finals. They'll be played earlier in the day, at eleven a.m. and twelve forty-five p.m. respectively. Kids go free, completely free, and adults are just a tenner. So, ealing trailfinders, get along there and you'll see the best of the women, women's and girls' games. And bear in mind the advances they've made. Actually, I can promise you, they'll be well worth watching. And the biggest thing that I've found um, that is absolutely wonderful is that I can now go along to these games and just be miserable straight away in a way that I can be with, with, with men's games and start saying, that's not right, that's not right, didn't do that, why isn't that happening? Without saying, oh, but you understand they're under 15 girls or whatever. No accommodation for that, don't need to. Don't need to be patronising, they don't want to be patronised. And I promise you, if you go, you'll be quite surprised at the standards. So please support the, that final day. Kids, you're free and adults are a tenner. Uh, Rob, Manu Tulangi is returning Leicester pivotal match against the Falcons. Not saying it will definitely decide who is in the playoffs, but it will uh, go a long way towards it, won't it?
3: Yeah, well, I think it will go. Especially if Newcastle win. I think given yeah. given where they're two points ahead of Leicester already. If Newcastle do win that, um, and I just I just wonder whether Dino had half and not only half an eye. I think he had both eyes on this Friday as opposed to last Friday yes. against Gloucester. Um, you know, I'm sure he, he went down to Gloucester wanting to win, but with his team selection and for Newcastle to get in the playoffs, it, it's a massive thing for them. Much, Quite frankly, much bigger than winning the European Challenge Cup, I think. Tough ask, but, you know, we both know. <laughs> really?
0: What... No, really the, the winning a trophy? Well,
3: yeah, I, look, I think judging where, where Newcastle have come from, where Dean has taken the team, um, the premiership getting into the top four, getting into the playoffs... Would be a massive step for Newcastle, mm-hmm. and you just look at arguably the the way that the team they picked, the, the way they played a little bit down at Gloucester. They it didn't feel to me as if as if they were putting their whole season on the line in that Gloucester game, and we both know what Dean mm-hmm. is like. Dean would love to go to Leicester on a Friday night <laughs> with with another team and win and and possibly end Leicester's hopes in in the playoffs and get Newcastle into the premiership playoffs for the first time yeah and um, well Manu too long I I've keep saying this
0: best of luck to him hope he lasts uh, it must be it, doubtful but until he do last, just leave him alone and yeah. let him play and see what comes out the other end
3: yeah it's just such It's such a shame it's such a um, it's not a wasted talent yet it might be in three or four years time if we're still talking about it in, in these terms but um, he just hasn't had any luck with injury. Hasn't been able to get any form, um, and you just got to wish him well and hope he can he can stay on the field for not just for one game, but for one or two seasons, because that's what he hasn't done for such a long time. And the rest of the fixtures, which have some
0: bearing on the uh, playoffs, extra Sale Sharks. It's a difficult place to go and take the points that you actually need, isn't it, for Sale?
3: Yeah, I suspect that's probably a step too far uh, for sale. They've had a they've had a pretty good season, and at one stage they were sort of looking like they might get into the playoffs. But you know, when it comes, when push comes to shove, after the Six Nations and the Exeter's and and the Saracens and the sort of wasps and and Leicester's start to get that, they start to get a move on. They start to get their best players back, and they start to just get ahead of steam mm-hmm. sometimes the likes of newcastle and maybe gloucester maybe sale march get it, steal a bit of a march during the six nations cuz they might pick up more points than the sides that are losing their internationals yeah gives a slightly false picture and it usually sorts itself out by the time you get round you know to round 2021 20, and, yeah. and the top four normally deserve to be well Worcester the
0: uh, nothing riding on that london irish uh, Saris unfortunately for London Irish you know the drop is, is there and Saris are starting to play well again so let's look at the remaining two Wasps Northampton Northampton shambles this year just like you know uh, Quinns really need a wholesale
3: uh, clearance and and yet they went to Leicester and and how you know won that Leicester you know
0: because that's a Midland derby well of course absolutely uh, absolutely that's of course the only reason.
3: reason and, and it you know it was a sort of really su- surprising performance by Leicester. um fair play to northampton they went there and they 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 did the derby thing uh, Leicester will be kicking themselves really because they yeah. should have they they were they underperformed um northampton have got good players they've just they've had a rotten season from start to finish wasps you know wasps will still fancy their, themselves you all, what,
0: wasps from where they were with the promise they showed 18 months ago, you know, not where I thought they might be. Uh, they've lost a couple of players, but, you know, and players like Haskell have obviously, they're getting older uh, and, and so on. But when you looked at that back line and you saw the amount of talent they had to come off the bench even.
3: Yeah.
0: I thought if they can keep this upward trajectory, you know, quite steep. Then uh, they'll, they, would, they would certainly be in, in advance of where I, I see them at the moment
3: yeah I mean, look, they're gonna finish in the top four. I don't think there's any doubt about that um they haven't quite pushed on to that level of consistency, perhaps that mm. they were sort of closer eighteen months ago and it there's always it's always a little bit unsettling when you're in a in a year where they've clearly had to make decisions about Cipriani and Haskell, and that that was obviously going on around Christmas, yeah, and that so these things just. They get into the club a little bit, and and no matter how well you try and manage it, it's it's difficult. You know, when Cipriani may have wanted to stay, but Sopoanga has been signed from New Zealand, Shields has been signed from New Zealand. So Haskell's probably been told we haven't got room for you, salary cap or whatever. And it is it is unsettling. There's no doubt about that.
0: And the uh, West Country, Derby, Gloucester, Bath. Well, there might have been a lot more riding on that if Bath hadn't been you know, in the form that they're in, which is none at all. But Gloucester, as a season, not quite what they, I don't think what they wanted, but they're moving in the right direction. It's whether they can keep going there because we've seen this before with Gloucester. We've seen them promise stuff, look over the fence and just not make that jump.
3: Yeah, and that's now, you know, that's Johan Ackerman's turn to to have a go, isn't it? To try, you know, and, and... A little bit, you know, Quinns have now got to work out who are they going to bring in next to try and do it. Bath have had two goes, th- three goes, you know, with um, Bruce Craig. He tried, tried Ian McGeeken, he tried Mike Ford, Todd Blackadder. Where's he going to go next? Because, you know, the, these guys don't like being down at the bottom of the table. Um, it'll, you know, it'll still be a great West Country derby, there's no doubt. And Gloucester probably flattered a little bit at the start of the season and now they've sort of been caught by the others. But, you know, two, two giants, really, um, and they've got another giant joining them in the West Country next year with Bristol, with, with the bloke who has got even more money than the two than guys. Than anyone else. <laughs> you know, so it, the pressure's always on at yep. Gloucester and Bath, and, and they're, they're finding it difficult to find a way of getting up to that top four and staying there.
0: Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact. Thank you to my co-host Rob Andrew and as always to my producer Abby Patterson. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast because it's completely free and that way you'll never miss an episode. Please also leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find us. We'll be back next week, but for now, goodbye.